Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, hey, today is our last week in Romans chapter 5. If you're new with us, we've been working our way through this incredible book, uh, the book of Romans. Many believe to be the most profound, the most uh, life-altering book in the entire New Testament. Uh, we're currently in Romans chapter, chapter 5, and we're closing out that chapter today. And, and we've been taking our time with Romans 5 because for us to really understand what Paul's going to talk about in Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, we've got to grasp what he's laying this foundation of in Romans chapter chapter 5. And so he's been revealing to us just new dimensions of God's radical grace in our life, he's been revealing to us, teaching us the devastating effects of sin, not only on humanity, but on the world as a whole. And he's also been laying a foundation of God's response to that. So let's stand in honor of the reading of, of God's words. We're going to read uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. We're going to have some words in red on the screen. When I get to those red letter words, uh, would you help me out uh, by reading those really loud, really proud? This is really good news. All right, here we go. Uh, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace, also might, reign. grace might also, also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, Father, we just thank you for your word. God, it changes our lives. It's, it's living, it's active. And so, God, would you display that today by speaking to your people in profound and life-altering ways. And, God, would you give us courageous faith, not just to hear your word, but, God, to live it out on a practical daily basis. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and say, grace reigns. Grace reigns. Grace reigns. Then you can have a seat. When we come to these two verses in Romans, hey, thanks, Steve, back to you. Uh, when we come to these two verses in Romans, Paul is summarizing what he's taught us throughout this chapter in Romans chapter, chapter 5. Not only is he summarizing what he's taught us thus far, he's laying a foundation for Romans chapter 6. And many scholars believe that, that Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 is Paul's commentary on Romans 5.21. He's, he's going to continue to unpack this thought that Paul lays out for us here, that grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're going to uh, frame up our time today with three separate headings, three headings to kind of frame up our time as we work our way through these, these two verses. The first heading, if you're taking notes, this is where they begin, is the role of the law, the role of the law. Romans 5.20 says this, now the law came in, the law came in. Now what, what's the law? What's Paul referring to here when he talks about, about the law? Well, well, first he's talking about the written law. In the Old Testament, God gave the law to a man by the name of Moses. Uh, we read about that in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the written law. Uh, a synopsis of the law would be the Ten Commandments. And so we're, some of us are familiar with, with that. Don't, 
Don't, don't, uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, those things. Uh, that would be the written law. But not only is he talking about the written law, he's also talking to us about what he talked in, uh, taught us in Romans chapter 2, uh, that every man, every, every woman, every boy, every girl has the law of the Lord written on their hearts. And so we have this conscience. We're the only, only creatures in all of God's creation that have this, this moral compass, this framework that we're born with innately. And Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 2. So both of those would include uh, the law and how the law, law came in. And so what's the purpose of the law? That, that's a good question. If we don't understand that question, if we don't understand an answer to that question, we'll, we'll find ourselves tripping over our feet at every turn. One of the most, most pivotal questions that we can ask and answer is what's, what's the purpose of the law? Because if we don't understand that, we'll find ourselves living life in this legalistic manner, not really understanding what the purpose of the law was intended for in the first place. It, it will allow us, it'll, it'll force us to not really grasp what grace is. We, we won't really understand New Testament uh, Christianity, and we'll live with this, this legalism and, and feel like, man, if I don't, if I don't perform to this standard, then, then God must be mad at me. Uh, or, or it'll twist our, our Christian experience and our relationship uh, with God. So to help us understand um, what the law is and the purpose of the law, uh, let me just begin by saying the law can't save you. Uh, the law cannot save you. And this is important to understand because some people live as moralists. Uh, you ask them, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven whenever you die? And they're like, yeah, for sure. You say, well, what? Why, why do you think that? And they'll start listing things. They'll say, well, I feel like I'm a good person. Uh, I feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm generous. I feel like, man, sometimes, sometimes I even go to church. Like, I feel like because I've done those things, like, I think, I'm, I think God and I are good. Only highlighting that they, they don't know the root of salvation. The, the, the gospel is really all about Jesus. And so if salvation is, is lands on any other means than Jesus, then like we really don't understand the gospel. And so we can't earn our way to heaven. A lot of people create their own law to themselves. And it might not be the same as the law that's laid out in the Old Testament, but they'll say things like, I think I'm a good person. Therefore, I think God's pleased with me. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, for, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. That's important for us to understand. That, like we, Whether it's God's law or it's a law unto ourselves, no one's made right with God by keeping this formula, a bunch of, of do's and don'ts. And two reasons why. Uh, one primary reason is we've, we've blown it already, right? And not just a little bit, but some of us, we've gloriously blown it. Like we, we're, we're, we're professionals at sin, right? Uh, but even if you just one sin, like how many of you have ever told a lie, right? Like... Okay, well, that's a sin. And if you're not lifting your hand, like it highlights, that's you. Uh, so so we're, we're there, right? And so, so in order to be made right by keeping the law, we have to do it perfectly. And we haven't kept it perfectly. Therefore, the law can't save us. Uh, not only that, but as we saw last week, because of Adam, when Adam sinned, it, it impacted us. It's as if we sinned because we were ultimately in, in Adam. And so we have this original sin issue that we got to deal with. Not only do we pile our sins on top of Adam's sin, but we've, we've blown it and therefore the law can't save us. So what does the, the law do? It says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Welcome to Central. Like, <laughs> that's good. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Um, it shows us. The law was given. It shows us how sinful we are. It shows us that, man, we serve this holy, awesome, righteous God, and the law reveals to us how we're not like him. How we, we strive for that, but man, we just, we fall short. And the law, then it points us, man, what do we do with our sin? It points us to 
to a savior. And for that reason, the law is ultimately, ultimately good. But listen, if you're living a rules-based Christianity, then you've missed the gospel. If you feel like, man, whenever, I'm, whenever I go a stretch without sinning, when I go a stretch without doing that thing, then I feel really close to God. I feel like God and I are on good, good terms. But man, whenever I blow it, I feel like maybe he's mad at me. I feel like he doesn't want to talk to me. I feel like, man, I can't really worship him freely. And if that's your Christian experience, and let me just submit to you that you're living a, a, a Christian experience that's far less than New Testament Christianity. You're living out an expression of the gospel that is uh, uh, somewhat of the God, but a perversion of the gospel. That you, we can't be made right with God by keeping the law. Like, like, so why would we think that whenever we do a good job that now we're in God's graces? Romans 5.20 says this, the law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. And so the law can't save us. So what does the law do? Here's a couple things that the law does. Number one, the law defines sin for us. The law defines, defines sin for us. We need to be educated on what sin is. We need to be educated on what God's standards are. Uh, but we need to know in the midst of that that the law could never save us. But it just defines what sin is uh, for us. Look at it, Romans 7, 7. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So the law clearly lays out, here's God's standards. If, in other words, this is how it was created. And the law is good. Like when you, when you live out God's word, like you come alive. Like it's good. So the law is not bad. The law is actually really good. Uh, but it just defines whenever, we, whenever we, we measure ourselves to God's standard, it reveals, it defines for us what sin is, where we miss, where we miss the mark. Not only that, but the law demonstrates Sin's control over us. The law demonstrates sin's control over us. We, we saw this last week that sin reigns, uh, but the law simply shows the reality of how, how sin reigns. Paul's going to say this in Romans 7, 7, for I would not have known what coveting was if, it, if the law had not said, don't covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. In other words, uh, the, the, the law says, don't do this. And because, because we have this sin nature, there's something in us that says, well, I never thought of that, but now I really want to do that. You know, like, so if you came in and, and, and there was signs on the walls and there's signs on the seats in, in front of you, there's a sign right in front of you that says, don't touch wet paint, right? And there's signs on the walls, wet paint. Well, you walked in today and you never really even thought about touching the wall probably. You didn't, you didn't even think about touching the seat in front of you until I just said wet paint, right? But whenever we see something like this, we see a law. Don't do this. Something in us says, I wonder when they painted. I wonder, I wonder why they painted. I mean, it's, it's probably dry now. It's Sunday morning. I mean, so, yeah, it's dry. It's dry. We're good, Right? There's something inside of us that says, when it says, you tell me don't do something, I'm like, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> For some of you in school, like the worst thing your teacher could do on the first day of school is, is do what? Go over all the rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And for some of you, those are just options you hadn't considered yet. <laughs> You're like, I never thought about that. I think I will do that. All of which highlights how the law demonstrates how sin has control over our lives. There's sin inside of us that just says, 
I'm not supposed to do that? Okay, I think there's a way I could do that. So the law, in that sense, that's one of the purposes. A third purpose, the law increases sin. The law increases sin. Paul says this, Romans 5.20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. New Living Translation puts it this way, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. And not only do we how sinful we are, but, but how we just sin more and more and more and more and more. Because God's revealed his standard. When we understand the standard, we also see like, it's not that the law forces us to sin. We just realize, man, I've, I've blown it. I've gloriously blown it. C.S. Lewis said this, that no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. That's true, man. I didn't, whenever I became a Christian and I started like, being serious about this, like I'm going to live for Jesus. So God, whatever your word says, I'm going to do it. I, not very good at this because I tried to be good. I, I really wanted to, but I didn't realize how challenging it was. Like I didn't realize some of the habits I had had such a grip on my life until I tried not doing that habit. You never know how bad you are until you actually try to be good. C.S. Lewis would go on, this is in Mere Christianity, his book, he goes on to write, you never know the, the power of an army until you try to fight against that army. And so for people that just surrender, wave the white flag all the time, they, they don't know the force of that army. You don't know the force of a wind until you try to go against the wind. And that's Christianity. The world's going this way. Christianity says, no, we're going to swim upstream. That's why Jesus says it's like a narrow road that leads to eternal life. It's, up, it's upstream living. C.S. Lewis would go on to say this, that is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. The law, when we understand the law, we just realize, man, God, that's your standard, and I've just given into it. So now, God, I'm going to try to live under your authority. And when we do, we realize just the depths of our depravity and desperate need for a Savior. So, the, so what's the, the role of the law? Listen, you can't be saved by keeping the law, but the law does define sin for us. The law demonstrates sin's control over us. The law increases sin. It creates an awareness of it. In that sense, the law is very good. Second header that we're going to talk about is the rule of sin. The rule. The rule of sin. Paul says this, Romans 5.21, so that sin reigned in death. Sin ruled. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Uh, Just as sin ruled. Sin not only reigns, but it's like a cruel dictator. It says, do this, go there, let's behave this way, let's cut those people out, let's cut these people in. Sin, sin rules, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death. The, the climax of that, the, the demonstration of that is that people, people die. As we've talked about, sin just isn't me doing something wrong, but sin is a force, sin, sin invades uh, sin permeates, sin's active, sin sets a, a culture, sin sets a climate. Sin not only permeates, but it dominates, it, it takes control. And you say, well, how does sin rule? What does that even, what does that even look like? Well, the next fill in the blank is, is one of the ways that sin rules, sin, sin reigns, is that people die physically. People die physically. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. 
We've talked about this in, in depth when we were studying Romans 5.12, but, but one of the, the outcomes of sin's rule is people die physically. Not only that, but people die spiritually is another effect of sin's rule. Colossians 2.13 says, For you were dead because of your sin, but God made you alive in Christ. What, what Paul's going to say is, is ultimately just as, as people who are dead physically, they're unable to interact with the living uh, but, but not only that, when people are dead spiritually, they're unable to interact. They're unable to, to commune. They're unable to, to, to communicate and, and interact with, with God on that level. They're spiritually dead. And so Paul uses th- that term, uh, they were dead in their sins and trespasses, to describe what life was like before people came alive in Jesus. He says it again, Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So one of the rules of, of sin, one of the ways we see sin ruling is people die physically, people die spiritually. Another way that we see sin ruling is people are controlled by Satan. People are controlled under the control of, of Satan. And I understand that's a shocking statement, uh, but let's look at it. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that there are two rules, two reigns. Uh, there's a reign of, of Jesus, a reign of grace, a reign that, that brings new life. But there's also a reign of sin and death. And that, that's a rule, a reign of Satan. As we saw last week, uh, under the first Adam, uh, sin reigned. Uh, Adam, he, he ushered in sin. He ushered in disobedience. He, he ushered in condemnation and ultimately ushered in death. Uh, versus Jesus, he, he ushered in obedience, he brought justification, and brought, brought life. And we get to choose. Here's the good thing. You get to choose whose reign you're going to live live under, under the control of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, under the control of Satan, ruled by a life that indulges in sin at every turn without ever giving a thought to it. Look at Ephesians 2.2. 2. It says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying, look at it, obeying the devil. Like that, that's the way Paul describes people who, who don't know Jesus, people who are living under this, this, this reign of, of the devil. Uh, the, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And so people would never say, like, I think I got Satan ruling in my heart. <laughs> they, they would never say that because that didn't even sound right. But, but here's what they would say. You say, well, I don't think I'm ruled by Satan. You say, well, awesome. Like, have you surrendered? Have you made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life? They say, no, I don't think that's, that's good for you. I don't think it's a big deal for me. I think God and I are good. And the fact that they haven't responded to the gospel only highlights the fact that they're, they're obeying, they're under the control, they're under the influence, they're, they're, they're obeying the devil, the spirit who's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God because they think it's not a big deal, not realizing that it's the biggest deal there is. Like it's the ultimate decision. It's the decision that not only impacts your life today, but it's the one decision that will impact your life for all of eternity. And the fact that you think it's not a big deal only highlights that you're under the influence of. Certainly this isn't to be judgmental, but you need to know the information. Like the Bible's super clear on this. And this impacts us. I realize this hits home because it's, it's my family members. It's, my, it's people I care about. It's people on the ball team. It's, it hits close to home. But this is the teaching of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.4 Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the likeness, the exact likeness of God. Why are they blinded? Why are their minds blinded? Why are they unable to see the good news? Why don't they respond whenever the gospel is presented? Well, Paul says it's because they're under the control of, of Satan. He's, he's blinded them. And so for people that we love, how does this get practical? Man, it's important for you to know this, the battle for souls that people we care about is one in the spiritual realm. A fine-sounding argument can't make a dead person come alive. They're under the control of, of Satan, the Bible says, and the only way for that to change is for God to open their eyes supernaturally to the truth of God's word. Next, where sin rules, people are bent towards evil. People have a bend towards evil. They're bent towards evil. Uh, Genesis 8, 21, this is after the flood. So God flooded the whole earth. Uh, Noah and his family survived, and they make this sacrifice. They have this big barbecue in honor of God uh, to, to, to celebrate uh, that he's rescued them. And here's what it says, Romans, or Genesis 8, 21. The Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. I'll never flood the whole earth again, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. It's in us. Like God just rid the earth of all like the wicked people and the, the one righteous family is left. And here's what he says. Everything you guys think about, even though you're like, you're the good people. I just saved you. You're welcome. But everything you think about or imagine is still bent towards evil from childhood. Like what a description of the condition of the human race. And it's only through the power of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that our, our bent moves from doing evil all the time and imagining new ways to do evil. And we have this bent towards doing what's good and pleasing, pleasing the Lord. When people reject God, sin rules. And that's marked by a bent towards evil. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 28. He says, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. So these people say, hey, I, I, like, I've heard the gospel, but I just, I'm not sure I, I'm buying in. I'm not sure I'm all in. I'm not sure I agree with that. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires, they know what God's justice requires, that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they cheer others on in doing it. They say, yeah, you do that. That's great. I know what, I know, I know what God's word says. I know, I know. Let's just do it anyway. Matter of fact, let's celebrate that. Yeah. Way to go. That's a description of the human condition. We just have this bent towards doing evil at every turn. That's, that's, that's the result of the rule of sin in the human life. So we've seen the role of the law. We've seen the rule of sin. Now, now's the good stuff. Now, now's the exciting stuff. If you've, if you've were on ESPN reading the pregame reports, set the phone down for a minute. You're going to hear this. <laughs> the reign of grace. 
the reign of grace. Paul shifts our attention. He's talked about the law. He's talked about the results of sin in these verses. Now he shifts our attention to this reign of grace. Here it is, Romans 5, 20 and 21. Uh, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. And here's the deal. Sin was big. Sin, sin not only corroded, disrupted, destroyed humanity, it, it destroyed the earth as the way God created sin. Sin has huge ramifications. But what saying here, just as sin increased, you would need to know that, that grace is much bigger than that. The like devastating effects of sin, but amazing, amazing effects of God's grace. Here's what you need to know. God doesn't just level out sin. God doesn't just, just remove sin. God doesn't just, just counteract sin. God doesn't just correct sin. Grace goes way beyond that. Just as sin corroded, sin permeated, sin invaded, sin was controlling, sin was dominating, sin was oppressing people for the believer. Now grace is working the opposite direction. Here's what I want you to think about. Just as sin was working against you when you were awake, when you were sleeping, now you need to know that grace is working for you when you're awake, when you're sleeping, when you don't even realize it. Just as sin was at work in you when you didn't know it, now grace is at work in you in ways that you don't even begin to comprehend. Just as sin, yeah, that's exciting. Just as sin was blinding you to the truth, now grace is illuminating your eyes to the reality of God's word and his plan and his purposes for your life. Just as sin was weakening you, now grace is strengthening you. Just as sin was sealing your damnation, now grace is working out your salvation. Aren't you thankful for grace today? His grace. Where sin once abounded, now grace abounds all the more. Paul would write this in Ephesians 3. He says, says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we think, ask, or imagine. That, that's a, what's grace like? It's immeasurably more. It's immeasurably greater. It's, it's more expansive than you can even imagine or begin to comprehend. Grace reigns, and it's a big, big deal. How, how could we ever think that we're not going to make it? How could we ever think that, that, that God's not for us? How could we ever think that maybe God's given up on us? How could we ever think that, that man, I've blown it too much. I don't think, God, I don't think, I, how could we ever think that? He's, what more could he give us? Grace now reigns in the life of those who practice the ways of Jesus. Grace reigns in the midst of our damnation. God brought us salvation. Grace reigns. Grace reigns. When I was dead in my trespasses and my sins, God made me alive in Jesus Christ. Grace reigns. We who were once enemies of God, now reconciled to God, now now made friends of God. Grace reigns. Grace reigns. You've been justified. Grace reigns. Grace reigns. You've been forgiven. Past sins, current sins, future sins. How is that possible? Grace reigns. Grace reigns. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not your right standing. It's not, it's not what you've done. It's not that you've earned it. It's not your own righteousness. No, you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How's that possible? Grace reigns. Grace abounds all the more. God loves you. God loves you. Settle that in your heart. How's that possible? After all I've done, listen, grace reigns. 
He loves you. You're a child. He's adopted you as a child of God. Grace now reigns. No longer a slave to sin, but set free from the dominating effects of sin. Grace reigns. No longer an outsider, but brought close as a family member of God. So now we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive more grace, more mercy, to help us in our time of need. Grace reigns. Grace reigns. When you feel weak, grace is making you strong. Grace reigns. When you feel like, man, I'm not doing very good at this thing called Christianity. Listen, grace reigns. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Grace reigns. Yeah. When we understand that his grace reigns, when we understand the depths of his love for you, you'll never question whether I have right standing with God again. Because grace reigns. It was never about what I did anyway. It was always about what he's done for me. How's that possible? Grace reigns. Romans 5.21. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. That's an interesting phrase, eternal life. What does that mean? I would suggest that two things. One, eternal life is a duration of time. And here's what you would need to know. You would need to know that you will live forever. That, that you, as a human being created in the image of God, you reflect the image of God and the eternality of God, that you're going to live forever. Every man, woman, boy, or girl will live forever. And here's what you also need to know. You, you can live forever in the presence of God, or you can live forever separated from the presence of God. The Bible talks about a place called heaven, too great for words. The Bible is very clear about a place called hell, too terrible for words. So eternal life is not just a duration of time, but it's a quality of existence. And what determines that quality of existence is do you know Jesus Christ? Jesus himself would define eternal life in this way. Not just a quantity of time, but a quality of existence. John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life. You want it? What's eternal life? Jesus says that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Listen, knowing God not, not only changes where you spend all of eternity, it impacts the quality of your existence. Today, for sure. For all of eternity, for sure. Knowing Jesus is what changes us, is what, what moves us from under this, this reign of sin that ushers in death and destruction into a new regime, a new rulership of, of Jesus Christ that's marked by life, marked by peace, marked by abundance, marked by, by thriving. All that, thank you, Siri, all that <laughs> is eternal life. You say, well, how can I experience that? How, how can my family know that? How can my coworkers know that? Look what Paul says, Romans 5, 21. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remember the, the book of Romans is primarily about salvation, how you and I can have right standing with God. How can we be made right with God? And so Paul emphatically over and over and over and over again, he comes back to this point. It's only through Jesus. In the prologue, the first seven verses of Romans, Paul says five times, it's all about Jesus. He starts there. He sprinkles it out throughout the book of Romans and he climaxes there. It's all about Jesus. Here's what he says, Romans 1, 7. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus 
Christ. Romans 3, 22, we are made right with God. How are we made right with God? By keeping a bunch of rules? But by, by finally getting my behavior under control? How, how am I made right with God? We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. Romans 3.24, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. How are we free from the penalty of sin? How are we declared righteous? Through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we've received what? reconciliation. He brought us back to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 17. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace in the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin, the result of sin, the consequences of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The reason so many Christians spend their life living with a sense of guilt, living with a sense of regret, questioning whether they're right with God, whether they're not right with God, is because they haven't understood what's at the root of their salvation. They haven't understood grace. For many Christians, it's still this rules-based Christian experience. If I perform well, then he's happy with me. If I don't perform well, then he's mad at me. Listen, it was never based on your performance. It's always been about Jesus. That's how we're made right with God. And that's the good news. And that's what Paul hits over and over and over and over again to the church of Rome. And he hits it over and over and over again to central Christian church. So it'll finally sink in. And it's hard for it to sink in, right? Because we feel like, well, I got to do something here. No, it's only about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. But here's what you would also need to know. You have a very real enemy. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you day and night. And here's what the enemy does. He says, hey, let's, you want to you worship God? Oh, perfect. Yeah, let's look at the scorecard. You realize what you did this morning? You remember how you talked to your wife? You remember how you lost your temper and yelled at your kids? You remember how you did that thing that you don't want to talk to anybody about? And you're going to come into this place and worship God? You hypocrite. How dare you? Lower your hands. Don't don't be that guy. No, 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 no. You would need to root yourself back in the truth of the gospel. It was never about your performance. It was never about your ability to do this, don't do this. It's always been about Jesus. If your salvation, if your right standing with God is based on anything else besides Jesus Christ, you've bought into something that's not the gospel at all. And so we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we've kept the the law perfectly? No, because we're, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I understand he's forgiven me of my sins, past, present, future. I understand how I have right standing with God. It's through Jesus. The key to walking in victory, the key to enjoying God's reign of grace, that he laid down his life to provide you, the key is to get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes onto Jesus. Do you think more about your failures or do you think more about God's faithfulness? 
Robert Murray McKinney said this, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ and never forget the radical grace of Jesus and what he has done for you. Romans 5.21, grace reigns. Grace reigns through righteousness, not my righteousness, his righteousness. Grace reigns leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. My question is, what reign are you living under? The reign of grace resulting from a life surrendered to Jesus, practicing the ways of Jesus? Or are you living under the reign of sin that ultimately leads to death? And you experience that at every turn, not just death one day when I die, but death of relationships, death of confidence, death of dreams, death of character. Today, you can make a choice. Say, I'm going to live under the reign of grace. Experience that by putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray.